a time where I thought Rob Gronkowski was funny and witty and charming and engaging, and I don't know what the hell that was, Shireen, and I don't know what Rob Gronkowski, frankly, has become late in his career, but I'll say to you good afternoon and hello. It's PFTPM. How are you today? I'm good, Mike. At least it's never dull and boring with Gronk. We know that. It's always going to be entertaining, even if you don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's talking about, and... uh you know, that's fitting because half the time I don't know what I'm talking about. But I do know this. This is one of the days per week where we are live on Sky Sports NFL in the UK and in Ireland. Shereen, you didn't ask me why I'm wearing Raiders gear today. Why are you wearing Raiders gear today? Because they're on the cutting edge of beating the virus. That's what John Gruden said. If they're on the cutting edge of beating the virus, I'm Team Raiders. Sign me up. Cutting edge of beating the virus. All right, let's get to it uh, without further ado and without upsetting anyone out there who actually believes the Raiders are on the cutting edge of beating the virus. The Seahawks are on the cutting edge of improving their pass rush. They weren't in on Everson Griffin, who was traded yesterday by the Dallas Cowboys to the Detroit Lions for a conditional sixth round pick. Today, Carlos Dunlap, who was done with the Bengals, made it clear he wanted out. He gets his wish. B.J. Finney and a seventh round pick go from Seattle to Cincinnati. And the Seahawks finally get someone who can chase around a quarterback. Shereen, what do you think of this trade? Well, I had two initial thoughts. And the first one was Cincinnati actually did a trade. I mean, we've heard for the last couple of days they might be doing a trade. But you know what their last trade was, Mike? It was Carson Palmer. That's the last time they made a trade. And before that, it was 1985 when they made a trade. They just don't trade anybody. And uh, so that was kind of stunning just from the fact that I think we're seeing a new Bengals organization and, and some things have changed there. And the second thing is, you know, the Seahawks need a defensive help. He certainly can't hurt. They have nine sacks through their six games. And I know Carlos Dumlap only has one sack this season, but I do think he will help their defense. He can't hurt. And I don't think this is the last that we've heard of the Seahawks trying to work trades. I know we're trying to kind of running out of time to get the player in for next week to go through COVID testing and all that. But I think they're going to be in on some guys. Whether they can pull it off, I don't know. But they're always in on players, and they need defensive help. I think there's going to be another trade or two involving them. Carlos Dunlap had nine sacks himself last year. Eight before that. His high came in 2015 with 13 and a half. He has been a key member of that defensive line dating back to 2010. And now the Bengals move on, in part because he was one of the many Bengals who are unhappy with their role, whether it's Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, John Ross. You hear talk about A.J. Green, although A.J. Green will never say, I want out. Sometimes you get the impression he wants out, and if he's going to get out, it's going to happen fairly soon because tomorrow's really the last day to get a trade done and have a chance to get your guy ready for Week 9. The only teams that that doesn't matter for are the Browns, Bengals, Raiders, or Rams, excuse me, and Eagles because they're all off week nine but everybody else plays week nine if you want your guy to be there and ready to go you've got to do the deals now that's why we're seeing deals happen now I don't know what's going on on the screen I don't know what's happening now but we're just going to keep going so Dunlap out Bengals move on and the Seahawks get a guy that they very much need to make their pass rush a little bit better there we go speaking of better that's better now okay uh, let's move on. The Cowboys moving on from Don Terry Poe and Daryl Worley. This one was odd. 
We we heard yesterday when Jerry Jones was on 105.3 The Fan, that same appearance where he said, shut up and let me finish. I always endorse saying, shut up and let me finish. Although, Shereen, I've never said that to you, and I won't. I say it to Sims. But not just Everson Griffin, but also Don Terry Poe and Daryl Worley were mentioned as potential trade candidates. It came out earlier today that if the two aren't traded today, they'll be cut. They're now cut. The Cowboys move on. Here's what I don't understand, Shereen. Maybe you can help me understand this. Post-base salary, the balance of it, as a, I, as a practical matter, it's guaranteed. He can take termination pay and walk away with all of it. Same thing for Worley. Both are vested veterans. They can walk away with their full pay, go play for someone else, and double dip. So what are the Cowboys really doing here by getting rid of guys they're going to have to pay anyway? The only thing I can think is they're sending a message, Mike. Uh, you know, these are two guys that had played over the 50% of the defensive snaps as well. And I know they haven't produced at a high level, but think about what the GM did in the offseason. And of course, we know the GM is Jerry Jones. Gerald McCoy, Don Terry Poe were two, your two big signings at defensive tackle. Ha ha Clinton Dix is safety. He never made it to the season. Andy Dalton, who, who now is hurt, but okay. Um, Daryl Worley, now gone. So they've made all these offseason acquisitions that just haven't worked out. And now you see maybe why the Cowboys weren't in the free agency market for so long, dating back to when they signed Brandon Carr. That's really the last time they had gotten into the free agency market in a, in a big way like they did this year, signing a bunch of, of name-type guys. And none of them have worked out, particularly for the Cowboys. I guess Dalton's going to come back at some point and be your starting quarterback. They're going to sign Cooper Rush now to the practice squad to be probably the, the thir third or fourth quarterback or whatever they have now uh, with Ben DiNucci as probably the starter this weekend. But this season has not gone the way the Cowboys thought it would go. And now they're moving on with players. And I would venture to guess that this, these aren't going to be the last moves that the Cowboys make. Yeah, look, they're at a point where they're trying to figure out who wants to be there, who's willing to give full effort. One of the things I heard as it relates to Poe and Worley, they just weren't committed. And they and as you said, it's sending a message to the rest of the team. But you know what? If you've got a vested veteran status, you get your base salary even if you're cut. I think the greater punishment is keep them on the team, right? Don't play them. Keep them part of the practice squad or keep them practicing but inactive on game day, but you want those spots for guys that you may need. So they were done with those guys. They move on, and that's that. The final tally of the money paid to Poe and Worley that isn't coming back is $6.656 million for those two players. And uh, I fully expect that they'll elect to receive their, their remaining salary from the Cowboys as termination pay. So we'll see what further moves the Cowboys make. And, you know, Shereen, we didn't talk about this yesterday. Sims and I tripped over this today. I really think someone should call and offer something for Amari Cooper because the Cowboys have plenty of receivers – they would actually realize a $12 million net cap gain for next year. Now, somebody would have to be willing to commit to paying Amari Cooper $20 million next year, but I, I think somebody should at least consider it if they need a receiver because I think the Cowboys maybe would be willing to consider it if they could recoup the first-round pick they gave up two years ago to get him. And that may sound like a stretch, but remember, last year, Mohamed Sanu got a second-round pick for the Falcons at the deadline. Mike, I totally agree with you. I think the Cowboys should put almost everybody on the block and make it known. Demarcus Lawrence, make us an offer. 
uh, Amari Cooper, make us an offer. Ezekiel Elliott, make us an offer. There are very few players on that team. CeeDee Lamb's one. Probably Michael Gallup just because of the price you have for him, and I think he's a really good receiver. Uh, Zach Martin. Those may be the only guys you have as off-limits on, on trade talks, but I would make it clear that any of these other guys, uh, we're open to trade. And let me add one more thing, Mike. I'm curious, and I've thought a lot about this. I want the Cowboys to end up with the number one draft pick because I want them to be in a situation. They don't have a quarterback for next year, right? I want them to be in a situation where they have to decide really what to do. Are we going to commit to Dak Prescott or are we going to roll the dice and go get Trevor Lawrence and and he's going to be our quarterback for the future? I don't see many wins left on this schedule for them. I'm not sure they can beat the Giants. I'm not sure they can beat Washington. There's just Cincinnati. I don't think they're going to beat Cincinnati. I just don't see many wins left on this. I think they're going to have a top five pick, and I think it's a very real possibility that they're going to start looking at quarterbacks or have to start looking at quarterbacks. But it's going to be an interesting thing, don't you think, if they end up with a top five pick? You know, we went through the rest of the schedule game by game earlier today, and we concluded 3-13 and at the very best for the Cowboys, being yeah. charitable with giving them a win like over Washington on Thanksgiving or the Giants. And chances are the Giants would blow it because then they would blow the first overall pick <laughs> like they blew the second overall pick last year. But yeah, and here's the thing. You will pay Trevor Lawrence the same maybe even a little bit less, and with the salary cap going down next year, significantly less than the $37.68 million that Dak Prescott would make under the franchise tag next year, you would pay Lawrence that over a four-year rookie contract less than what Dak Prescott gets for one year. So something to consider as we move forward. All right, the Browns moving forward without Odo Beckham Jr., Here are Baker Mayfield, the team's quarterback, and Kevin Stefanski, the Browns head coach, talking about what it means to not have Odell Beckham Jr. for the balance of the season. Here they are. There's this theory kicking around that, you know, Baker might be better off without Odell. Why is that a flawed argument? Well, one, I think it's just completely insensitive to a guy that just tore his ACL. Um, So I'm not even going to comment on it. Uh, You never want to lose guys, and that's that's where I'm going to leave that one. Could there be a lessening of the pressure on um, Baker, if that's the right word, to get the ball to number 13? Tom, I really don't think so. You know, again, Odell's a great, great player. We're going to miss him. Uh, I, I feel sick still without him uh, in the building. But our offense is based on 11 guys and the quarterback going through his reads. And, and it was like that with 13 in there, and it'll be like that without 13 in there. It sounds like the same voice asking the questions of both people and very different tone. Why is it a flawed argument? Well, it's not a flawed argument that Baker Mayfield may be better without Odo Beckham Jr. I don't think it's disrespectful to have that conversation. You take away the guy who constantly is the subject of the conversation about, is he getting the football? When's he getting the football? Why isn't he getting the football? Get him the football. You take that out of the equation and you just let Baker Mayfield throw to the guy who's open without this extra baggage and distraction of force-feeding the ball to a guy who may be covered, who may be deliberately taken away by the opposing team's game plan defensively, that's not an inappropriate question. It's not a flawed argument. And look at how Mayfield played last week without Beckham on the field. 
He was 0 for 5 in the first quarter, Mike, with that first first pass interception that got Odell hurt. Then he went 22 for 23. The one miss was a spike ball. He absolutely played better without Odell Beckham in the lineup. And we're going to find out long term because they're not going to have Odell the rest of the season if they are a better offense. And on top of what you said, I'm going to add this. It allows them to run the ball, which is what they're best at. They're 18th in total offense, but they're third in rushing. They're going to get Nick Chubb back. They have Kareem Hunt. They can run the football, and they run the football very, very well, as good as any team in the NFL. We've talked about that one-two-headed monster. It is a one-two punch at running back. They can commit to the run. They don't have to worry about getting Odell his targets. Look, he was first in targets with 43, but he was second in catches. They don't have to worry about that anymore. I think they're going to be a better offense, and I think when we look back at the statistics late in the season, Baker Mayfield's passing, I think we're going to see he's a better quarterback without Odell. And then it puts them in a quandary with with Odell coming back off that ACL. What do we do about Odell? Well, no Odell next year if they make it to the playoffs without him. And I think that it was appropriate for Mayfield and Stefanski to say what they said, but I hardly believe it's inappropriate for people like us to say, you know what, Browns and Mayfield may be better off without that. You know, and it's it's cost-benefit. Yeah, you lose the talented player, but you also gain the absence of that narrative that just has weighed the team down for the last year and a half. All right. We have to take a break because coming up later in the program, our weekly football pod in America, and it is an extended one with Liam McHugh, Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, and me. For now, we'll be back with some COVID updates around the NFL. More PFTPM. All right, people get upset when we talk about COVID-19, but you know what? We have to talk about it when it's in the news, and it's in the news today, Shireen, because the Texans, who have a bye this weekend, still had to shut down their facility today because of a COVID-19 positive, and then news came out not that long ago that Cameron Dantzler, Vikings rookie corner, has uh, COVID-19, or at least is on the list. We haven't seen the full aftermath of that. But look, here's the thing that the NFL is worried about. And a high-level executive told me within the last week that the thing that keeps him up at night is the concern of players on teams that aren't contending doing things they shouldn't do and making themselves susceptible to ending up on the COVID-19 reserve list, either because of a positive test or because they were exposed to someone who has it. Because, look, even if they don't have any chance of making it to the playoffs, it can still derail the season for everyone else. And it can result in the players on that team that isn't going to the playoffs losing game checks in the regular season. I'm not sure they all understand that. Yeah, you've got nothing to play for other than your salaries. So stay clean steer clear and keep playing these games that you don't think count because otherwise you lose paychecks that do count. And I think there's concern too with the bye week, Mike, that players going off and doing things that they wouldn't ordinarily do on a game week. And uh, Max Sharping was the guy for the Texans offensive lineman who tested positive Uh, for the Texans, and we'll see what that leads to. They did shut down their facility, and they are fortunate to be on a bye because it's going to be harder and harder to make up these games as we go forward with more and more teams having 
done their buys. So they don't want to have any more games postponed to a, in a different week because at this point we're looking at a week 18. There's just not going to be much of a way to fit in these games, more than likely if we have any more uh, problems. So they're trying to cut cut the – Cut it off now, and fortunately, guys. Hopefully, guys do th- the right things on bye weeks and do the right things when their teams are out of the playoff picture. But uh, yeah, we've we've seen repeatedly where they aren't doing that. Here's the thing to keep in mind, though, as it relates to the bye weeks, the players and the coaches still have to show up still every tested. day for their PCR sample. So it's not like you can go to Cabo, Tony Romo style for a few days and then come back. <laughs> you you do have to stay in the in the vicinity, but if you're not working, if you get some time off, where do you go? Who are you with? What things are you doing that may put you in the vicinity of the virus? And we've got a team entering a bye and a team exiting its bye that now has a COVID-19 issue. The Dodgers had a COVID-19 issue during the game last night. Eighth inning, Justin Turner, third baseman, removed from the game because – They found out he had tested positive for COVID-19. And then he ended up on the field for the celebration, which is just ridiculous. The MLB issued a statement today saying it was wrong. Yes, it was wrong. And it was stupid and it was dangerous and it was short-sighted and it shouldn't have happened. And uh, hopefully MLB will do something about it, both as to Turner and as to whoever let him on the field. Here's what's important as it relates to the NFL, Shireen. They told me today that it's unlikely but possible you could have a positive comeback during a game. For a night game, they give their samples in the mid to late morning. And depending upon the proximity to the laboratory, they could hear during a game a guy's positive. They would immediately remove him. But what they would do, they would put him in an isolation room and he would stay there and he would not get out, even if there's a championship to celebrate. So, you know, the NFL, we can point out many things they maybe haven't done as well as they could as it relates to the virus. They would not have something like what happened last night happen at the Super Bowl. Well, you would absolutely hope so, Mike, because they're fortunate that the Dodgers won that game because it would now be 14 days before they could play Game 7, and they would just be stuck here in Arlington waiting to play that game. They were very fortunate it worked out like it did on the field, but I'm glad the NFL is learning all all these things from baseball and other sports. Yeah, that's the thing. The NFL's had the benefit of the five months to see what everyone else was doing, and seeing others work through their issues, whether it's regular season, postseason, championship round. But yeah, if there's a player who they get that email that there's a positive, they will remove him during a game and he will be kept in a room and he won't be out there on the field running around with the trophy like Reggie White did after Super Bowl 31, I think (laughs) it was. He won't be on the field. He'll be in isolation and they will not let that guy get away from their sight. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, it's mailbag time on this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. We'll be back with your best questions of the day right after this.
There's your lineup, and it's a new graphic for Peacock, NBC Sports Channel. Every day starts with PFT Live, then Dan Patrick, then Rich Eisen, brother from another, PFTPM. On Mondays from 6 to 7 Eastern, it's the Safety Blitz with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth. And Tuesdays through Fridays, Chris Sims unbuttoned. And no, he is not working that late. And I will continue to give him that kind of grief until he works five days a week, all day long, like the rest of us. It is pre-recorded, Chris Sims unbuttoned from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern. All right, let's answer some of your best questions. And the first one... First one comes from, where is it? Uh, Gears of Ted, how bad do the Vikings have to be this year for Mike Zimmer to be gone? Shereen, you and I both have a ton of respect and admiration for Mike Zimmer, but let's face it, the team stinks this year. There aren't a lot of wins jumping off the schedule. He just got an extension before the start of the season. How bad does it have to be for Zimmer to go, or even if they don't win another game and go 1-15, will he still be back? It's so funny. You know who gave him a vote of confidence today? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers said, I think it's crazy that there would be any talk of getting rid of Mike Zimmer. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL. And he has been really good. I mean, he's 58-43-1. Time out. Time out. Yeah. Time out. I know, how, I know how Aaron Rodgers operates. I think that means please keep <laughs> Mike Zimmer. Please keep Mike Zimmer. Maybe it does. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great point. But, you know, Zimmer Zimmer got the team at the championship game. He just signed the contract extension. I don't see him leaving after this season. I think they'll give him another year to try to get this thing turned around. The funny thing to me is they lost all those defensive players before the year, and he pointed out, I've never had a bad defense. This is a really bad defense. They rank 28th in in defense right now. They need to get the defense fixed, and that may be the offseason to do that. Yeah, you know, when it came up in the offseason that the Packers had traded or traded up to get Jordan Love and there was a question about Aaron Rodgers, Zimmer said, yeah, I think they should trade him. <laughs> and he was being sarcastic. I, I think in a, in a roundabout way, you know, look at, how, look at what the Packers have done <laughs> against the Vikings yeah. over the past five years when Aaron Rodgers is healthy. And I think Aaron Rodgers would very much like to continue to face that same system week in and week out when he plays them twice a year and he plays them this weekend. And uh, look, if the Vikings lose this one and fall to one and six, they're already done, but they'll be even more done. But I agree with you. Zimmer will be back next year, but Shireen, there will be no question going into next season. It's hot seat for Zimmer. It's hot seat for GM Rick Spielman. It's hot seat for everyone next year. They are digging a hole this year that they're going to have to bust their butts to climb out of next year because the pressure will be on everyone. And if they have another year in 2021 like this year, it's going to be reset time for the Vikings. They'll all be gone. You didn't mention Kirk Cousins. I think that's him next year, too. He's under immense pressure. Well, here's the thing. His $35 million base salary for 2022 becomes fully guaranteed March of 2021. I still think there's a chance that maybe they try to do something with him after this season. All right, Football Pod in America is next when PFDPM continues right after this. Another edition of Football Pod America, Lee McHugh with Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, Mike Florio. It's a football pod, but Tony, let's start with a little baseball. Your Tampa Bay Rays, they're out. They lose in the World Series. The Dodgers, L.A. is the sports town right now. Uh, L.A. Dodgers played a great series, (laughs) and we did as well as we could do. Uh, I'm not sure why we made our pitching change. I'm still trying to figure that out like the rest of Tampa, but uh, Rays had a great year, and we're proud of them. 
hey, you got the Stanley Cup, right? You go to the World Series. You still have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we're going to be talking about them, Tom Brady, Antonio Brown. We're going to talk about the best matchups in the NFL this week. But believe it or not, we're going to start with the Cleveland Browns, off to their best start since 1994. They're 5-2. and two. But, of course, going forward, they're not going to have Odell Beckham Jr. He's got that torn ACL, so he's out for the season. You cannot question his talent, but I think if you look at what the Browns do offensively and you look at their schedule going forward, Mike Florio, I'll start with you. How much does this really change for them? Well, you know, I know Odell Beckham Jr. is a great receiver. Now maybe his best days are behind him. But there's been that constant pressure, that stress to get him the football. And it's always a question, especially when they're not winning. And it just seems to be a burden on quarterback Baker Mayfield. Look how well he played on Sunday without OBJ. You look at their schedule. You look at the games they have coming up. This is a team that can win 10 or 11 this year. Now, they may not be ready to win in the postseason. But for a team that has been as bad as the Browns have been for basically the last 20 years, this is progress. And I think they'll conclude after this season they don't need Odell Beckham Jr. and he'll be somewhere else in 2021. Mike, I agree with you. And and when I look at Baker Mayfield, I just look at the mental toughness that he showed, not allowing that injury to ruin his day. He comes and he throws five touchdowns, but also his – you know, he has an opportunity now to continue to develop that chemistry with those young wide receivers, those tight ends. So if they can continue with that run game, I'm not sure if I still trust – Um, Baker Mayfield if they don't have a run game but you know just developing that chemistry with those young guys I think that's going to help out coach it it will and the Browns no question they're going to win with running the ball playing defense and Mayfield making plays but taking away great players isn't always good and Odell Beckham when they load the box against Cleveland he still is a threat against one-on-one coverage they're going to miss that eventually Uh, Is it a death blow? No, I don't think so because they've got a lot of other talented players, but there's going to come a time where they're going to wish they had Odell Beckham running against one-on-one coverage. Yeah, you feel like that time will be if and when they make the playoffs. I think Mike makes the point that you look at their schedule right now. I mean, it's hard really not to see them winning 10 games this season. I mean, the schedule definitely sets up that way. Mike mentioned it, but for Tony and Rodney, Antonio, I'll start with you. Do you think this is it? for Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland? Not necessarily. Um, You know, he serves a role. I think he's a good player. I think the team likes him and gravitates to him. We'll see what happens. Uh, Obviously, if they go on and and do win those 11 or 12 games and end up being in the playoffs, then it'll be a money decision. But I hope Odell comes back because I think he does bring something to them. Yeah, Coach, I agree with you. I think he, he brings a lot to him. But the problem is when Odell comes back, typically coming off an ACL, it takes you two years to feel like yourself. And that next year when he comes back, he's not going to be 100%. He's going to be frustrated. The fan base is going to be frustrated at him. So eventually, I, I agree with Mike Florio. I don't see Odell being in Cleveland next year. Yeah, I mean, that, that's post- the challenge. Go that's going to be the challenge, though. Trying to trade him. What value is he going to have? When is a team going to be willing to pull the trigger? I, it's, it's, a, it's a real risk because he may never be the same. We've seen that happen to guys, and it's going to be a long road. And, and the, the way the calendar works out for next season, he may not be even close to 100% by the time some decisions have to be made. Yeah, yeah. Brown's longest active playoff drought. Brown's host the Raiders on Sunday. Now we have the Eagles and the Cowboys on Sunday night football. But next Sunday, November the 8th, 
We're going to be down in Tampa. We have the Bucks against the Saints for what will yes. likely be Antonio <laughs> Brown's return to NFL action. All right, you look at this Bucks team, all right? So they've certainly found their chemistry offensively. It's a team that's on the rise. The offense has put up, what is it, 83 points just the past two weeks. You'd have to say one of the top defenses in the NFL, certainly a stout run defense. Bringing in Antonio Brown at this point, Tony, is this the right play, and do you think it's going to work? Well, as a Bucks fan, I'm concerned because I saw Rob Gronkowski after a year off. And all the first half of the year, Rodney, we were saying, what's wrong with Gronk? What's wrong with Gronk? What's wrong with Brady? They don't seem to be on point. They're going to go through the same thing with Antonio Brown. It's going to be six weeks of getting him into the flow and getting adjusted. Now, is that going to take away from the rest of the group? I'm not sure. That, that would be my concern right now. And coach, and coach, he must be willing to accept his role, whatever that is. Come in and say, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be part of this team. I don't care about individual accolades. I don't care about numbers. I'm not trying to set myself up for next year's contract. If he can come into that system and be that type of teammate along with all other teammates and put himself as equal amongst everyone else, then I think it can work. But if he goes and if after three or four games he only has seven, eight catches and he's not happy – He's going to ruin that team. <clears throat> and that's an excellent point, Rodney, because the way his contract is structured, there's a lot of incentives tied to production. 45 receptions over the balance of the season, 650 receiving yards, six touchdowns. If he's not on the field as much as he wants to be on the field, if he's not getting the football thrown his way as much as he thinks he should, then it's going to be a problem. He's going to get frustrated. Will he be able to contain himself? And to Coach's point, the last time we saw this guy play at a high level – was against the Saints. Week 16, 2018, he had a huge game. That was the game where Juju Smith-Schuster had the fumble that cost the Steelers the game, cost the Steelers a playoff spot. Two days later, Juju Smith-Schuster's the Steelers MVP. Antonio gets upset, and that was the pin in the grenade that, that is still exploding for Antonio Brown two years later, and he's hardly played. So what is he going to be? I don't know. And I don't think the Buccaneers really know. And whatever happened with him and Tom Brady for two weeks in New England last year must have been powerful because Brady believes in this guy at a time when no one else seems to. But, but take, take a look back to week one, two, three, and four in the Bucs season and balls just going off Gronk's fingertips and balls just going off Mike Evans' fingertips. And we're saying, what's wrong with Brady? He doesn't look good. Well, now six weeks later, those, those are strikes. But it's going to be the same way with Antonio Brown. So he's in there, and the ball's just off his fingertips. Well, what's wrong with Antonio? And, you know, it, it, I can see all of this going on while they're trying to get him going. Does it cost them some games? That's what I'd be concerned about. But, but you know what, Coach? The one thing about it, I, I just looked at Tom Brady and his leadership and his ability to keep Ant um, Antonio Brown kind of just honed in and focused and, and – you know, I think they've had conversations. Bruce Arians come out and say Tom had nothing to do with Antonio Brown coming. I don't believe that. I believe that Tom had a big role in him coming to Tampa. Tom is a very unselfish guy. He takes time with each individual teammate. And I think if, if, if Antonio Brown connects with Tom Brady and stays within his presence, I think he'll be fine. But if he gets off to a selfish mode and he starts doing things on his own limb, then forget about it. He's going to ruin that locker room. One more point, because to a certain extent, the Buccaneers are selling their souls with Antonio Brown. This is a guy who still has 
He's got a pending sexual assault civil lawsuit that's due to go to trial in December. At some point, he's going to be questioned under oath in a deposition. He does not do well in that setting. And they know know this going in. They know the NFL is still watching him. They're looking at whatever evidence that case generates. And, And this could create a huge PR problem for them later. There are people who don't feel good about the move now. And and they, they but hey, they've already put all the chips in the middle of the table. Now they're throwing their watch and their car keys on top of it to try to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> but Mike, let me just say this, not necessarily because it's not like they're they're paying this guy, they guaranteed him 10, 15, 20 million dollars. Isn't it a one like a one year contract, a million dollars is the base salary? I think I was reading that on your right. website. Right. So it's yeah, not you're like right. they're but, but it's about what it does to you as an organization. It's it's not That's the money. Right, yeah. It's, but it's, if that's it's the case, doing business if that's the case, with a bad guy. How quick is the hook? How quick is but the hook? But that's but my point. That's Tom my Brady. point. It, go, go it ahead, doesn't coach. matter how quick the hook is. You've already made the decision. I came down on the Patriots last year when they signed Antonio Brown saying, hey, you know what? This, we, you can say all you want about equality and women's rights and caring for the community. This, this is all about a Super Bowl. And that's what it is for Tampa, and that's the feeling down here. People are excited. The football fans are happy. People are saying, what does this do for our community? There's some unrest here already. But also, let me hold on, Liam. Hold on. If, yeah. if Antonio Brown comes in there and he does something crazy that Bruce Arians doesn't like, then it also puts Bruce in a position where he can release this guy, but it also sends a message to the rest of his team saying, look, yeah, we brought this guy in, but if you're not the right type of guy to be part of this locker room, we're going to get rid of you. So I think I think in this situation, I believe that Antonio Brown, you know, he, he does deserve another chance, but if he doesn't make it work, he's going to be gone. Listen, there's a lot there. Just the idea that there's going to be an adjustment for weeks for Antonio Brown, potentially, that could be a problem. You obviously have the trial in December. So here we go. Raise your hand right now if you expect Antonio Brown to finish the season as an active member of the Bucks. Ooh. I do. do I have, because am I betting my house I, on I it? Do. What am I, how much am I betting? <laughs> <laughs> All you're betting is your hand. Just your hand. Oh, my hand? Okay, I'll raise my hand. You, you, use, your, use your offhand. Rodney mentioned Bruce Arians making the call to get rid of him. You better make sure Tom Brady's on board with it before you get rid of him. That's part of the problem. You've empowered Tom Brady. He better be okay with it before AB has run out the door. And I don't think he was okay with it when the Patriots cut him last year. Okay, so Mike Florio ready to bet the PFT compound. Tony, just the left hand. Just, just my hand, not, that's all. Rodney, not hey, at all. A coach is willing to bet the mansion in, in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be the bet because he can move out of Brady's house and he'll move into that house if it does work out. So, all right, let's focus on a few key matchups because obviously we're going to see Tampa Bay and the Saints in a couple weeks, but a few key matchups for week eight. And let's start with an AFC North showdown. We have the Steelers, the last unbeaten team in the NFL. They visit the 5-1 and one Ravens. All right, Rodney, I'll start with you. Your initial thoughts on this matchup. My initial thought was how will um, both offenses handle the pressure and all the different looks that they get? And I, I tell you this, man, just watching Pittsburgh defensive film, we sit back and we watch T.J. Watt and um, Bud Dupree and Cameron Hayward. We give them guys props. But you look at linebacker Vince Williams, he's playing as as well as anybody on that defense, and that's a name that you don't hear very often. 
And I think it's all going to come down to Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin, that group, that, hey, let's load the box, the running game. Lamar's been on on several games, and they've looked great. There's been some games where he's been just a little bit off, and they've struggled. They're going to put it in his hands to throw the ball. He's going to have to throw the ball to win this game, I believe. And literally, my first thought when I hear Steelers at Ravens is the old Heinz Ward story about the bus pulling in and getting three <laughs> generations of middle fingers from Ravens fans when they'd go to Baltimore. But, you know, to Rodney's point on Vince Williams, look at the hit he put on Ryan Tannehill down near the goal line in the first half of Sunday's game. The, the Steelers deal with mobile quarterbacks in a very direct, abrupt, and violent way. Now, first they got to catch Lamar Jackson, but I guarantee you, you know, they did it to Carson Wentz. They did it to Ryan Tannehill. They're going to look to do it to Lamar Jackson. If you're going to decide to run the ball, you're no different than any other running back, and we're going to come hit you as hard, if not harder, than a guy who normally carries the football beyond the line of scrimmage. And, Tony, back to you. I mean, we saw – we didn't see that Tennessee, they came – the Titans come out, and they did score in the second half of that. But is this all about throwing the football? Because if it is – this is a passing offense that right now only the Jets have a worse passing offense in the NFL. Well, you know, Mike Tomlin knew last week, I've got to stop Derrick Henry, and I'm going to sell out to do that, and they did in the first half. Ryan Tannehill got some things going in the second half. They're going to come in and say, you know, we've got to take the running game away. We can't let Lamar run the ball. We'll do some things, and there's going to be some things open in the passing game, but he's got to hit them, and I think that's the way the game's going to go. If Lamar hits them, I think Baltimore will have a big day. And Rodney, one last thing for you, because obviously we spoke about Antonio Brown and the Ravens. They signed Des Bryant to their practice squad. We're not going to see Des, at least for a little bit. Do you think Des Bryant has an impact on this team in the passing game going forward at some point? If, if, if I was a team and I was preparing against Des Bryant, I wouldn't really be concerned. I just wouldn't. I mean, he hasn't played football in years. He's, he wasn't the fastest. And you talk about years later, him coming on the field. I, I don't think these young guys are afraid of Des Bryant. He doesn't carry the same reputation that he, now that he carried years ago when he was a stud. Let me just say one thing about Des Bryant, because I believe very, very strongly this is the truth. Des Bryant is the guy that the Ravens initially flirted with and then signed to the practice squad to placate the guys in the locker room who wanted Antonio Brown, period. That's why he's there, and I don't think he's going to be there very long. All right, so he may not be that big a help <laughs> to a team, but let's face it, if you look at their receivers, they rank dead last in the NFL in receptions and receiving yards. And to Rodney's point, Des Bryant has not played in a game since December of 2017. Let's stay in the AFC. Let's take it to the East, a division that, let's be honest, this century has essentially been owned by the Patriots. The Pats, however, they are 2-4. and four. They're coming off that ugly loss to the 49ers. They visit the 5-2 and two Bills. Tony, you would look at the record, and it obviously suggests that New England is under a lot of pressure. But this seems like it is enormous for the Buffalo Bills. I'm with you, Liam. I think the Bills are under so much pressure. If you don't beat the Patriots now... When are you going to beat them? So Josh Allen, Bill Belichick, we know he's going to take away what the team does best. We know that the Patriots are going to run the ball against Buffalo. It's going to be on Josh Allen, and you've got to perform. You've got to win. So uh, I think this is a huge, huge game for the Buffalo Bills. 
And you know what, Coach? I think the Patriots, despite everything and how poorly they looked the last three weeks, I think they're going to come in with a lot of confidence because they have a lot of familiarity with the Buffalo Bills. They play in the division. They know how to stop Josh Allen from running around and scrambling around. They still feel like they have the DBs to match up with those wide receivers. And then you look even on, on the Patriots' offensive side of the ball, you're not afraid of Buffalo's defense. You saw what happened with Kansas City. Kansas City ran up and down through Buffalo's defense. So if you're the Patriots, as poorly as things have gone, you still have confidence that you can, that you can play well and compete and beat Buffalo. I think the key guy to watch on the Buffalo Bills offense is Stephon Diggs because we've seen some flashes of frustration, and that was characteristic of his time in Minnesota. One of the reasons why they weren't all that upset about moving on from him because there were moments where he, he's not involved, the team's not winning, and it becomes an issue. You know, late in the Kansas City Chiefs game, he's walking back slowly to the line at a time when they should be trying to get to the line and get moving. I saw some body language last week against the Jets when it wasn't going as easily as it should have. If the Patriots take him away and frustrate him and they can't get him the ball and the Patriots are winning, just keep an eye on Stephon Diggs because I, I, that could be the tipping point for that team to lose the game to the Patriots. But you know what, Mike? I'm also going to look, and that's an excellent point you make, I'm also going to look at Cam. And my question is when, you know, and this has been my question since Cam came to the Patriots. When he, once he faces adversity, and this is adversity, how will he deal with it? Now, will he come out Sunday, and he talked about possibly losing his job. Will he come out and play aggressive, or will he play, come out timid, trying to protect his job? So I'm really interested in looking at how Cam Newton plays and his mindset. And Rodney, back to you. If Cam doesn't play well and the Pats fall to 2-5, and five, where do you think they go from here? It, I just have to see how the game plays out. If the game is on Cam, then you might look to um, Bella, Coach Belichick to make a, a possible change. What do you think, Coach? You know, I, I, I think Cam's going to play well because I think they're going to run the football, and that's going to set up a lot of things for them. I, I really, I'm looking at the other side. I, wanna, I know how the Patriots are going to play. The Patriots are going to play a good game. I want to see if Buffalo comes with their A game. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, I went to school in Buffalo. I lived in Buffalo for four years. Uh, I, I can almost feel the tension, and I'm all the yeah. way downstate in New York right now. <laughs> this is a place that for so long yeah. expected nothing to go right, and that's the Bills and the Sabres, guys. Now the Bills are good, and having hope sometimes because a dangerous thing for a fan base because you're nervous going into big games like this. All right, hey, move on to 40. What? I bet you a steak dinner. My pets against your bills. <laughs> all right, we'll do the steak dinner at Tony's house, which he's also betting. We'll combine all the bets into one gigantic bet. Go. The 49ers, they crushed the Pats last week. They visit the Seahawks on Sunday. 49ers at this point lead the world in high ankle sprains. They are depleted at running back. But Mike Florio, Kyle Shanahan, and his team have bounced back from those back-to-back -back losses to Miami and Philadelphia it looks like he has got a plan. What do you think of the job that he's done? What a turnaround after getting blown off the field by the Dolphins, 43-17. to I thought they were done. I thought it was over. They were starting that seven-game stretch, and they're 2-0 and so far. They beat the Rams in primetime. They beat the Patriots in a big spot. Now this is their opportunity to go back to the place where they nailed down the one seed last year, but it's a very different team. And this Seahawks team, you know, the fact that the Seahawks lost on Sunday night is going to make it even harder to go in there and beat them. 
This is a high-stakes game for both teams. All four teams in the NFC West are great this year. And Kyle Shanahan is showing that he really is, and I've been saying he's got the potential to be the next Belichick. What he can do with whatever he has, however many guys are injured, however many guys aren't his usual starters, just plug the next guy in and we make it work. And the way that offense works with whoever just happens to be hanging around, it's incredible. And Coach, and you I, really, I don't know you who's going to win this game, but I'm going to predict the Wait. score, Rodney, 100 to 99. Because <laughs> San Francisco has no pass rushers. They've stopped Russell Wilson in the past by rushing the passer. They have no pass rushers. Wilson's going to have a big day. The 49ers are going to run the ball with whoever they put back there. They may put George Kittle at tailback. They're going to run the ball and pound this Seattle defense. So I don't see anybody stopping the other side. I do believe that Jamal Adams will be back. He told me that there's a chance that he'll be back this week and he'll be that guy spying on Kyler Murray. But I agree with you, Coach. And you said this a few weeks ago. You talked about Kyle Shanahan. And I look at what he's done. I, I mean, right now, to me, Mike Florio, he's leading as far as coach of the year, what he's been able to do with all the injuries, the East Coast games. Like you talked about beating um, Coach Belichick. They hadn't been beat at home in X amount of years. I just, Kyle Shanahan has been absolutely terrific, and that was a great comparison because he is probably the smartest, youngest, hottest coach out there right now. Like 199 total points, I'll let out Michaels know. I think that'll take the over for the week. <laughs> take the over. <laughs> but, Tony, I do want to get back to you because we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is, again, and we saw it Sunday night, this is Seattle kind of living dangerously. It makes for thrilling well, games. and But you got to wonder, I mean, can you really, can you win it all playing like this? No, you can't. You're living dangerously. Every game comes down to the last possession. You, you hope to score on the last play or stop the opponent on the last play. You can't do that week in and week out. Um, Seattle has to play perfect. They've got to minimize their penalties. Uh, Russell Wilson has to be on point every single play. So um, I, I just think you're, you're going to see this happen to Seattle. and They're going to play exciting games. They're going to win their share of them. But in the big games, that, that lack of stopping people is going to catch up with them. Yeah, you just don't. Um, they don't have pass. They don't have pass rush. I mean, you you can't get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl without pass rush. Rodney, I, I just have one final question on this game for you. If I gave you a 15 yard lead, would DK Metcalf run you down before you hit the end zone? Now at 47, yes, but back when I played, heck no. Buda Baker is slow, I, I, and you know what? He is slow. Mike Florio, you need to pump him up for possible defensive player of the year, but he is slow. He's only 195 pounds, and he gets caught behind by a wide receiver. Come on, coach. That was a great play. I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that. You usually don't see that, although we, we did see Benjamin Watson catch Champ Bailey the same way. Um, I think there's something about competitive guys that just aren't going to give up, and that, that showed me a lot from DK. But remember, Coach, and, remember and look, when he was hey. running end zone and, it, and it remember that the DB knocked the ball out of his hands? I, he learned from that, so that's something yep. that he, yes, can, he did. You know, the coach the play can show is never well. over. That's exactly what he learned. You're right. And you got to admire it when a guy on offense flips to a defensive player and goes after the, yeah. the guy with the ball because there's a real risk. That's what happened to Odell Beckham Jr. To take it all back to where we started, he was hustling after a, a turnover and he got himself uh, knocked out for the year. Yeah, but you yeah, guys talked about, about Antonio Brown. 235. 
Yeah, you were talking about Antonio Brown. DK Metcalf in that game was not having a good game. Patrick Peterson was on him, not a lot of balls coming. He catches a guy 100 yards from behind, and then in the second half on Carlos Hyde's play, he gets a great block on the defensive end. He's excited because he got the block to spring the touchdown. That's, that's the kind of attitude you want from all your players, but especially your receivers. And, Coach, to think about it, my Patriots had a chance to get him, and they chose McKeel Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Where would Cam be right now if he had DK Metcalf, Mike Florio? <laughs> That's why you may be the next GM in, in New England. You know, where would Cam be? Maybe Brady doesn't leave. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of scouts and GMs answering tough questions about DK Metcalf <laughs> lasting until the bottom of round two right now. All right, let's finish with a couple of teams that have been – answering a ton of tough questions, and that is our game Sunday night, Philadelphia and Dallas. Uh, the NFC East, it's still anyone's division. So here we go. Tony, initial thoughts on this Sunday night match. Well, I want to see what, what happens with Dallas. What do we see from them? You're playing on Sunday night. You're playing a division game. You've been embarrassed the last couple of weeks. What are we going to see from you? Just like we saw from the San Francisco 49ers, we saw championship heart after that debacle against Miami. Are we going to see that from Dallas? Philadelphia, you got a chance to bury your number one rival. Are you going to put the dagger in? Uh, I, I think this is, that's what this game comes down to, to me. When I look at Philly and I look at Dallas, you know, we, people talk about how, how, how hard they play. Dallas, they're up and down. Sometimes they play tough, sometimes they don't. But Philly, when I watch them on tape, even though they've been disappointing, they've been up and down and consistent, they still play hard. You don't see guys not hustling. You don't see guys not trying to make the play. And it's led by their defensive front. I tell you, Derek Barnett, he's been playing a, a, a lot better since he's healthy and he's back on the field. But Philadelphia, they play hard and they play tough. And that's why, what, what I like what they're doing. They still have their head coach. They still have Carson Wentz, who's making some plays with his legs. I like what they're doing, even though, you know, they're underachieving a little bit. If the Cowboys can't get themselves into a spot where they're even competitive against one of their top rivals on the road like they weren't competitive against Washington on Sunday, I don't know what to say. They, they are – I don't know if they'd beat the Jets right now, especially if Ben DiNucci is the quarterback. That's one of the big questions that's going to linger over the week. Can Andy Dalton be cleared to play on Sunday night? If not, it's Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert, and that explains why the Eagles are seven-and-a-half-point favorites, guys. <laughs> Uh, we're going to find out on Sunday nights. You guys will be in the studio. I will be in Philadelphia. And we got a couple more days to decide on our picks, Rodney, because right now you and I are the NFC East of picking games this season. <laughs> it's, it's been rough. We're going to turn it around. It starts this weekend. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, ahead, man. I'm just gonna, I, got, I just, I, I just, I just got to stay humble, man, and get back, get back focused. <laughs> I can't listen to the America. That's what kills me when yeah. I listen to America. That's Block it. out the noise. Block out I've the been, noise. I've been siding with America. Maybe this weekend it changes that relationship. Maybe we need a little break. We'll see. All right, guys. Thanks in so much immortal, for doing this. In the immortal words of <laughs> Rodney Harrison from last year, I hate America. Remember that one? <laughs> you remember everything, Florida. He does. He Don't does. Don't forget that either. Right. I, I think it's great. Harrison 2020. I hate America. <laughs> <laughs> and the campaign slogan going forward. <laughs> uh, All right, guys. We'll see you Sunday night. Thanks right. so much.